0: We are continuing our series on Paul's letter to the ancient church in Philippi, the Philippians. So let's read verses 19 through 30 this morning to see what Paul has to say to us this morning. So again, chapter 2, starting in verse 19. This is God's word. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and my fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed, because... In your service to me. This is God's word. Why don't we pray for a moment before we explore what God has to say to us this morning? Lord, speak, for your servants are listening. Speak to our fears, speak to our pride, speak to our struggles. And Lord, as we listen, open not just our ears so that we would understand, but open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see You, so that our hearts would then be changed. And then we ourselves could love You and love others with a costly obedience. For the joy of it. Lord, this is our prayer. Speak to us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm the type of person who organizes their bookshelf according to theme. Anybody do this? Anybody do this? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Color. color, I know there's a color person out there. I wasn't going to call you out, but since you called yourself out. (laughs) So over the past few months in my office, I've noticed that my leadership shelf has tripled in size. Because I have been devouring books on the topic of leadership in this season of my life. But the more leadership books that I read, I am more convinced that there is nothing that compares to the Bible. And I know this because the best leadership books that I read are the ones that are simply parroting scripture. That are simply repeating and exalting in what God has to say about leadership. Because God has a lot to say about leadership in his word. Uh, Most of what the Bible teaches us about leadership is negative in the sense of what not to do as a leader. Much of your Old Testament are kings royally screwing up. And that's a pun that was intended. (laughs) But the scriptures also teach us about leadership in a positive sense. There's the perfect leadership of Jesus. And then there is good leadership that is modeled after Jesus. And so we all need to hear what God has to say about leadership. Why? Because we are all, all of us, we are all influencers. Whether you like it or not, there are people in your wake. That you are influencing. You are influencing people at work. You are influencing people in your home. You are influencing people here at this church. You are leading. And if we're honest, most of us are shooting from the hip, aren't we? And we don't really under, even understand what we're doing and how, what kind of influence we're having on others. And so it is worth us all asking this morning, what does God have to say about leadership? Leadership. I think the most important passage, one at least, of the most important passages in Scripture on leadership is a passage that we already discovered in the second chapter of Philippians, and it's verses 5 through 11, where it describes the perfect leadership of Lord Jesus, of King Jesus. In short, Jesus uses his authority to what? To serve and to sacrifice It says he did not use his equality with God or leverage his equality with God as something uh, to, to. He did not exploit that for his own sake. But instead, he used his authority. He used his lordship to serve and to sacrifice. Well, our passage this morning that we just heard aloud flows. From the perfect leadership of Jesus. At first our passage I'll admit seems completely like a non sequitur. Completely out of place. He's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus and himself. And his travel plans. And you might be thinking where on earth does this fit in Paul's flow of thinking? I'll tell you how it fits. It fits because Paul when talking about the leadership of Jesus. It triggered the leaders that were around him. Namely, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I believe our passage, therefore, contains three portraits of good leadership. That flows from the perfect leadership of Jesus. Three portraits of good leadership that flows from the perfect leadership of Jesus. An art, three portraits connected together, is called a triptych. So what we have this morning is we have a leadership triptych because we're going to look at Paul. We're going to look at Timothy and we're going to look at Epaphroditus. And each of them will show us an important portrait of good leadership. And as we unpack these, I want you to think about the people that you influence and how God might be calling you to be a godly leader in those areas. Paul shows us a leadership is openness. Timothy shows us that leadership is others centered, and Epaphroditus shows us that leadership is no more complicated than simple obedience. And so we'll take a look at all three of these portraits this morning, starting with Paul. Paul shows us that good leadership is characterized by openness. If there's a word to describe Paul's leadership, it would be open, not closed. Just look, Paul is open with his plans. In verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. He completes that thought in verse 23. If you have a look, he says, I hope, therefore, to send him. The Philippians must have been expecting Timothy. After all, Timothy was a founding pastor in this house church in Philippi. And they must have been expecting Timothy to return. And so what Paul does is Paul gives Timothy's ETA. They must also be worried about Paul. They've heard of his imprisonment in Rome. That's where they're at right now, Timothy and Paul. And they must have heard of of his imprisonment because they're also eager to learn from him. And so that's why Paul gives us his ETA in verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. But here's the thing. Paul's ETA, his understanding of his plans is an open thing. He holds them loosely. He trusts in the Lord that, that things will unfold in a certain way. But he's not clamping white-knuckled to his plans. He knows things are in the Lord's hands, not his own. And that's why his language is so couched with openness. I hope in the Lord Jesus implying it may not turn out that way friends, but I hope he's open with his plans. He's also open with his emotions. And this is really astounding. You would not expect the, one of the first and most important leaders in the early church to be so tender and to be so open. You would, you would expect a forceful leader who's closed off, but no, he's open with his emotions when describing Timothy in verse 20. Have a look. He says, I have no one like him. I have no one like him. The word that he uses there is, I'm just going to say it in the Greek, isopsyche. Okay? That's not how you would say it in the Greek, but it might help you understand what the word is. The word means same soul. Same soul. He's saying Timothy and I have the same soul. We are like souls. He's open about that relational, tender relationship. He also calls Timothy his son in verse 22. Not his biological son, but his spiritual son. This is tender language. Paul is open with his emotions. He's also open about his weakness and his need. He admits in verse 23 that he needs Timothy. He says, I hope to send him as soon as I figure out what's happening to me. Which is again... An indirect way of saying, I need to hang on to him. I know you're expecting Timothy. I need to hang on to him right now. I need him. He's incredibly and uniquely poised to minister to me right now. He is expressing his need. How easy could it have been for him to just say, I'm okay on my own. Go ahead, Tim. I'm good. He says, no, I need, I'm needy. He says, I'm needy. And then he's open about his sorrow in verse 27. If you look down, he's talking about Epaphroditus now. And he says, but God had mercy on him and not only him, but on me. Why? Because I would have had sorrow upon sorrow and picture waves crashing upon waves. That's what he's describing. I would have been sorrowful. To the church in Corinth, Paul admits that he experienced despair. And later on in that same letter to the church in Corinth, he admits that he struggles constantly with anxiety. This is someone who, as a leader, is incredibly open and not closed. Well, say what you will about Brene Brown. She's a household name now, right? But her little TED Talk, if you've not heard, if you've not heard of her, her little TED Talk on the subject of vulnerability has moved the needle on how we understand vulnerability In our lives, it has moved the needle and I think in the right direction in a direction that smells Pauline because she reminds us that vulnerability is always costly and vulnerability is always courageous. It's not naivete leading with an openness requires risk. Think of the arenas of influence that you have right now. Just think of them. You will lead those people well to the extent to which you are open. Andy Crouch says true leaders mix the capacity for meaningful action with exposure to meaningful risk. I'll say that again because everything he says is so good. Leadership and true leaders mix the capacity for meaningful action With exposure to meaningful risk. It's risky to live open as Paul does. But he does. Y'all know Linus from Peanuts? You know Linus. (laughs) Well, last Christmas I encouraged you all to watch... For that famous scene in the Christmas on the Christmas show, Peanuts Christmas, when Linus walks onto the stage and 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 sort of. Unpacks the Christmas story according to Luke 2 and he's reciting scripture word for word and if you recall in that moment he lifts up his security blanket he has a security blanket that he's never seen without and in the moment when the angel says fear not he drops his security blanket and he is standing there naked and vulnerable no longer covering himself with his security blanket and I would like to suggest to you that we are all Linus and we all have our own security blankets (laughs) and Especially as leaders. Leaders are very insecure people. Myself included. And therefore, we will lead with our security blankets. Whatever they are. A facade that we might have. Busyness. Something to blanket ourselves. But we can, in Jesus, like Paul does here, drop our security blanket because the Lord says, fear not. Because we are blanketed in the love of God. We are blanketed in Jesus's leadership. And so we no longer have to hide. And we can be open. He enables you to be open. Jesus does. Before Paul, before Paul met Jesus, Paul had a ton of security blankets. He talks about it openly. There he is again. Being open about his past. He says, I used to, I used to hang on to this blankie of accomplishments. And I used to tell everybody about my accomplishments. And I used to carry that thing. But when I met Jesus and he knocked me off my horse, I dropped that security blanket. And now I lead with openness and with weakness. And that's, that can be us as well. If you're in Jesus. It's too terrifying to do without Jesus. But if you have Jesus, you can drop that blanket with Linus. And I encourage you to do it. And so, Paul... In a kind of indirect way, teaches us that true leaders are open. Let's move to Timothy, though, because Paul has a lot of glowing things to say about his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is not a perfect leader. Only Jesus is a perfect leader. But Timothy, according to Paul, is a really good leader. And so there's things that we can glean off of what Paul says about Timothy in our passage, because he embodies the paradigm of Jesus in verses 5 through 11. In other words, Jesus is an others centered leader and Timothy is a good leader in so far as he is others centered and apparently he is others centered he's others centered in his concerns, Paul says in verse 20, if you take a look down at your text, for I have no one like him, why, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's saying in my midst, in Rome, in this prison scenario where I'm at, there are many Christian leaders. There is none like Timothy because Timothy is truly concerned for the church. It seems as if there are leaders in my midst, Paul is saying, that are concerned about themselves or something else, but... Timothy is concerned about others. He's others centered in his leadership. I'm just going to be honest. I have a lot of concerns. Joe Hack does. I am what some might call a brooding personality. I can sit alone in my office and brood over things. Concerns that I have. But I'm going to be totally honest right now. Most of the time when God is not at work in my heart, my concerns are self-centered. And insofar as my concerns spill out into other people's lives, it most often has a tether or a connection to me and my idols of comfort. But what God does in his grace is he enables me to get out of myself and to have concerns for others. And I've noticed that the times in which I have most concern for others is when I'm praying. Why? Because when you're praying, You are enveloped and reminded of the grace of God. And by God's spirit, you start thinking of other people besides yourself. Timothy is a unique leader because he is others-centered. And he tells us that leadership is others-centered. He's others-centered in his pursuits in verse 21. They all pursue or seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. Apparently, Timothy pursued what Jesus would pursue, which is the, again, verses 5 through 11, the flourishing of his people. Jesus was others centered. He was a sacrificial servant for the sake of his people. And apparently, Timothy led in that same way. He's others centered in his pursuits. And then he's others centered in his service. In verse 22, I love this detail. He says, but you know, Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. As you read this, and if you're reading quickly, you might expect Paul to say something different than what he does. He says, Timothy is my son. I'm his father. And he's proven his worth because of how he has served. You would expect him to say me. How he has served me. After all, Paul is his elder. He's his father. But what does it say? Take a look. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. See, Timothy is a good leader insofar as he is serving others. Even though Paul was senior to Timothy, he doesn't patronize Timothy. He sees Timothy as a co-servant. And that's true leadership too. Whoever is underneath your influence, you look at them not as someone to serve you, but as a co-servant. On Monday night at our leadership training, we talked about tugboats. Whoever was there, can, can I get an amen? Tugboats, do you remember the tugboat? Well, let me refresh if you forget. Uh, what sets tugboats apart from every other boat on the water is that they are other-centered boats. They are other centered boats. They're not pulling skiers. They're not, you know, they're not doing anything else except helping big ships come into harbor. We read a quote talking about tugboats that went like this. It says, Quote Tugboats are not especially impressive mechanically or visually. <laughs> but they are indispensable. Tugboats, you might say, are servants. They don't navigate for themselves. They navigate to bring other ships safely to shore. So think of the people in your care. Bring them to mind right now. Not theoretically, just bring them to mind. The people in your care, the people in your wake, the people you influence, whether you like it or not, think of them right now. Now put them first. If you do not put them first, you are not a leader according to God. If you have people beneath you in an organizational chart, the reason those people are underneath you, I want to be clear. The reason those people are underneath you is so that you can get under them and wash their feet. That's why they're underneath you. So that you can get underneath them and wash their feet. If you have any leadership authority of any kind, if you have any kind of influence whatsoever, you must understand that you are a leader not to be served, but to serve. You are called into the position that you have in order to be others centered. And just like the openness of Paul, the other-centeredness of Timothy can only happen when the Holy Spirit does His work in you. <laughs> because it's impossible. It's so much impossible. But God is gracious, and what He will do is, as you read verses 5-11, through 11, and you see the perfect leadership of Jesus, for instance, the Holy Spirit will say to you in your heart, Jesus came to be served. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve You, a sinner, a rebel, an enemy. Jesus set a table for you when you were his enemy. And when that takes root in your core, you will have a supernatural, spirit-empowered, humanly speaking impossible impulse, like a spark plug, to think of others to wash feet. Because that's true leadership. So Paul shows us that leadership is openness. That's the left side of the triptych. Uh, What do we have? Timothy showing us that leadership is other-centeredness. That's the center panel maybe. The third panel over here in this leadership triptych is simple obedience. Simple obedience. And we find that from the witness of Epaphroditus. He shows us that. Leadership is simple obedience. Now, first of all, if you were wondering uh, why any parents would name their child Epaphroditus, let me just give you a background, okay? Because Epaphroditus is actually a pretty cool name. It's the guy version of Aphrodite, which tells us something. It tells us that most likely Epaphroditus's parents were Aphrodite worshipers. Why am I sharing this right now? Because what it means is that Epaphroditus had a radical and costly conversion. Why am I sharing that? Well, because what that means is that Epaphroditus learned early that obedience to Jesus is costly. And we see an amazing leader in Epaphroditus. In fact... The more I learned about Epaphroditus this week, the more I grew to think he is the patron saint of leadership. And I'll explain why. He is obedient in the face of obstacles, first of all. Paul describes Epaphroditus as a brother, a co-worker. Do you see it in verse 25? He's my brother, my, my co-worker, co-soldier, and then a messenger and a minister to Paul, it says, and I want to focus in on those last two descriptors, which some even think are, the, are, are a way of saying the same thing. A messenger and a minister. It is those last two descriptions that we need to unpack because it seems clear that Epaphroditus was commissioned by the church, the house church in Philippi, to minister to Paul in prison in Rome. If you would look at chapter 4, verse 18, you'll see that it was Epaphroditus who actually took Support from the church in Philippi to Paul in prison. He says, I have received full payment and more I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So Epaphroditus was literally a messenger. He was bringing payment and support and probably other things as well from the church. Early on when we were unpacking Philippians, I said Philippians is essentially a God-breathed, God-inspired support letter. A ministry missionary support letter. Some of you support missionaries and you have their letters, you have their weekly or monthly letters printed out and put on your fridge. Well, Philippians is basically one of those. Except the minister is in prison. But he's saying, thank you for your support. Let me tell you how God is at work. And he brings up Epaphroditus because it was Epaphroditus who brought the ministry to Paul. And it's Epaphroditus that Paul will be sending back with this letter. The reason we have Philippians is because of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus takes this letter and carries it back to the Philippian house church. And he is so obedient to this calling. I like to imagine him at the commissioning service. Like I can just picture it in this small living room house. uh, I can just picture the church excited to commission him. And to send him on to this missionary journey. Epaphroditus, you who came from a totally different background are now a Jesus follower. And more than that, you are a missionary and we are excited to send you to serve the apostle Paul in prison. And I can picture him his excitement. I can picture the excitement of the people in the church and I can see him, um, just excited to leave. And he has a skip in his step. I'm being used by God. But what happens in his journey is he almost dies. He almost dies. It says he nearly died and he kept going because he knew it was God's call and he did not stop and he did not turn around. It was costly, just like his early conversion. He knew that to follow Jesus is a costly thing. It's not cheap. It's not a consumer good that we can try on like an iPhone watch and then decide to take off when we don't like it anymore. It's the Lord Jesus who died for us. And he goes on this mission. And in verse 27 and 30, it says that he nearly died. But Epaphroditus was faithful. So in the face of obstacles, he was obedient. He was also obedient in the face of what I'll call obscurity. And the reason I say that is because if you read between the lines of this passage, you start to notice something else. Not only did Epaphroditus nearly die, but when he got to his ministry post, listen, it didn't work out. You experience in reading verse 25 on down through the end of chapter 2, a hint of defense. Paul is defending his decision to send Epaphroditus back home. He's saying, look, in verse 26, he's freaking out, first of all. He fell ill, he almost died, and now he's panicking because he's worried about you guys. Second of all, frankly, Timothy's a better fit right now in the circumstances. And so I'm sending Epaphroditus back. It's reading between the lines, and we can't know for sure, but the sense is that they were expecting Timothy, and they were excited for Timothy, And instead, they're getting Epaphroditus. Now, why am I sharing this? Because what it tells me is that Epaphroditus, in worldly terms, was a ministry failure. (laughs) It was a ministry failure. He was a failed missionary. Whatever dreams he had on that commissioning service, he came home with shattered dreams. That's what happened. This reminds me of missionary friends that I know. Uh, they raise support and excitement. They sell their stuff in excitement. They, they load a car and they load a plane with excitement. And then when they arrive, everything goes wrong. And they come back home with their tail between their legs. And they don't know what to do. J.R. Bricks was a pastor whose ministry didn't pan out or go as planned, rather. And he says, I've often felt like an illegitimate pastor who was good enough to be a starter on the junior varsity team, but never good enough to do anything but sit at the end of the bench in my warm ups on the varsity squad. And he's being very honest. And that could be Epaphroditus as well. But what does Paul say about his ministry? This is the lightning bolt of our passage, friends. This, I hope God strikes your soul with. May God strike you as he struck me in this week as I was studying this. In verse 30, Paul says, "Apaphroditus, in his failure, did the work of Christ. <laughs> That's the upside down upside-down kingdom of God at work. In his obscurity, we don't elevate Epaphroditus, do we, in our churches? I'm not driven by a saying Epaphroditus church lately. I really haven't. I've not seen one of those. Maybe they exist, but I haven't seen one of those. Epaphroditus would not be leading a conference on church leadership, would he, in our day? But he did the work of Christ. He did the work of Christ. So let's change the way that we talk about leadership success. How about that? What if we said ministry obedience instead of ministry success? What if we just change the word we use? How's your ministry going, bro? I'm obeying and repenting when I fail to obey. That's just me as a pastor, being honest, but at work, home, school, you are all missionaries. You will be a better leader wherever you are when you stop aiming for success and you start aiming for obedience. Obedience that God, as we learned last week, works in you. So this is the leadership triptych. It's openness, it's other centeredness and it's obedience. And these three sinners, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these three sinners are leaders who lead well. Why? Because they are, they are, they've been gripped by the gospel of the self emptying Lord of Lords. That's why they're leaders. They've been gripped by the good news of the self emptying Servant Jesus. And we will lead like this only to the extent that we also are gripped by the self-emptying servant leader, Jesus himself. It will release us into this kind of leadership. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this portrait of leadership. Thank you, Lord, ultimately that it points us to your leadership. We are good leaders only insofar as we are sitting in, basking in, reflecting on, receiving the self-sacrificial love of Jesus on our behalf. Would we focus on that? Would we, in our ministry failures that might be heavy on our hearts even now as we think about how we're leading our homes, how we're leading at work? Whatever it is, as, as we lead even in school, our influence, as we think about it, and we think about all the ways we're in it for ourselves, Lord, even in that moment would we experience the servanthood of Jesus for those saints? And would that un- unleash us into servant leadership into other people's lives? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.